Hello, my name is Shireen Jordan and welcome to Tea and Tonic. This podcast is about giving my guests from all different creative industries the chance to tell us about how they got to where they are today. Well, we both sip a tea or perhaps something a bit stronger with a tonic. It's a chance for those affected by the impact of lockdown, the opportunity to chat, because talking is, as the saying goes, just the tonic. I hope you enjoy it with a beverage in hand. It's Wednesday, October the 28th, 2020, and my guest today is actor and singer Carly Stenson from Billinge. Carly started dancing at the age of three, constantly singing and performing at every opportunity. She went into Channel 4 Soap Hollyoaks, aged 17, and ended up spending the next decade there playing the role of Steph Cunningham. After having also spent a stint in four-piece band Diamond, Carly went on to carve a successful musical theatre career, making her West End debut in Legally Blonde in 2012, which led to securing the lead role of Elle Woods. That was followed by performing the roles of Princess Fiona in Shrek, Lady of the Lake in Spamalot, Christine Colgate in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Fontaine in Les Miserables, and earlier this year, Georgia Hendricks in Curtains at the Wyndham's Theatre. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Carly Stenson. Hello! Hello, hi, thanks for having me. Oh, Carly, thank you ever so much for um, agreeing to chat to me today. Um, Right, before we get stuck in, uh, what beverage do you have? Well, I have my choice of two. Um, I have my peppermint tea with, um, I'm obviously like a dog lover, so it's got the dogs on, and um, slightly a bit too hot yet, and then just my water, just to stay hydrated, but um, I probably will pick up the tea. (laughs) Very nice. Um, I have got a green tea with coconut and mango. Um, so trying to you know hydrate um and you know have a bit of caffeine at the same time so uh cheers cheers i like the mug as well thank you and yours because i know that you are dog kind of obsessed can i say yeah dog obsessed (laughs) actually doesn't offend me when you say obsessed (laughs) that might be a problem (laughs) i have my my two here actually i was going to say two but i've been deserted by one which is never normally the case it's proper embarrassing me now but um, I have my two. I don't know whether you can see. Bailey's at the door over there. I can see. But, um, yeah, so they're kind of guarding me. Um, yeah, I am. I am slightly obsessed. <laughs> you, you, you love animals, don't you? And we'll, we'll get onto that in a bit. So, Carly, I remember you personally from Hollyoaks, um, which, again, we will, we will talk about momentarily. But where did this passion for the arts, your talent at being really a triple threat, where did it come from? Was it in your family? Was it nurtured when you were little? Yeah, kind of a bit of everything, to be honest. And um, it's funny because I never asked myself where it really, really came from until one of the good friends of mine, Camilla Sekadella, she was like, what do you think it was? Was it a naivety that you thought you could do it? Or was it a confidence? And I was like... I never thought I was ever going to do anything else. Like it was, it wasn't even a, oh, you know, if that doesn't work, I'll do this. Or what about this? It was like tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mum said that they went to a concert when I was, when she was pregnant with me and I started dancing in the belly. She was like, she knew then that <laughs> this child would like music. But um, yeah, I, I was one of those annoying kids that I think I hummed and sang a melody to the Dallas theme tune before I could speak. <laughs> um, I was one of those kids who was like, look at me in front of the telly, but dancing, you know, and, um, and my mum, my grandma and my nan um, kind of all decided she needs to go to dance school. So like three, three years onwards, I was 
Ballytep and Modern, um, which were the three ladies' dreams as well. I think my mum always wanted to be a dancer and my nan always wanted to be a dancer and, and things like that. And when I used to stay with my grandma and granddad, which was most weekends because my parents worked a lot, um, I would grow up watching Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, all my grandma's favourites. And she would be like, you know, everyone loved Frank Sinatra, but I like Gene Kelly. So, um, yeah. Gene Kelly was like my idol growing up. And then, um, yeah, I grew up watching Chorus Line. I knew all the moves, all the words. So I think it was massively encouraged. I was told my granddad's mum apparently used to get up in the bars and the pubs and if there was a pianist on, she would get up and sing. So it was, I think, I'm the only one who does it in our immediate family, but they all love singing and they all loved some form of performance. My sister was an aerobics teacher, which is a form of performance as well. But um, yeah, they all can sing. They just don't do it in a professional kind of element the way that I do. That is so interesting. Now, you mentioned the Dallas theme tune. To be yeah. fair, it's a legendary theme tune. <laughs> yeah, you know. the age of five though. I don't know why I was singing it, but yeah. <laughs> amazing and so it sounds like you know your mum and your grandmother it was kind of in their genes as well and then they passed yeah. it to you and then and then that was nurtured did you instantly love going to dance classes and did you feel really at home sorry yeah um sorry they're interrupting that's because someone the male man has been um yes it's um they yeah because it, obviously that it wasn't as accessible for them when they were younger so when they could see that I wanted to do it um it was massively nourished and encouraged and my sister wasn't so keen on it never really has been so with me I think they were like oh my gosh yes let's live our dreams through her and I don't remember my first ever class I remember some of the early days and I think I was told like Carly you know you're not leading in this one this is the <laughs> this is the boys or Carly wait your turn I was very keen I was very very keen but I was disciplined which was good I got I, I got taught discipline through it and then my our ballet teacher was very very disciplined <laughs> so um yeah she was great um so no I I, I must have loved it because I I think I had a very strong personality I would have definitely said to my mum I didn't want to go back mm. I think it was just an excuse to show off every week so yeah I think I did <laughs> I think well, I loved it. you're very honest um <laughs> Do you think that that discipline at a young age stayed with you? Because it's hard graft when you're in a musical theatre show, any kind of show. So do you think that was important to kind of be instilled in you at a young age? Um, yeah, she she was incredible. Um, Mavis, bless her. Yeah, she, um, gosh, from an... Uh, I think it's kind of the stories that you hear from old school ballet teachers now. The whole kind of, I've got the cane. If you, you know, if you come out of that position, if you stick your bum out or if your hands drop, I've got the cane. It's like that kind of thing. No one ever saw the cane. No one ever had the cane used on them ever. But the threat was real. And and it was, it was that kind of, sure, she was hardcore. And it taught us, you can't just go in there and kind of play it safe or you can't just go in there and expect you'll be all right. Like you've got to give it 150% and you've got to want it more than the one on the right and then left. And you've got to try that bit harder and be determined just to see it and go for it and have a straight line there. You've just got to be really focused, determined and just keep giving it everything you're all. Yeah. That's kind of what she taught us. And I, a good lesson that I learned really, really, really early on, it was actually one of my first auditions for musical theatre. 
and I ended up working with him luckily <laughs> twice after and my husband even so recently is um Jerry Mitchell he um he said to me you know you've got to work on your stamina it's eight shows a week and I, and I knew that but just having it told to me by someone like him in his position was like oh, okay yeah I can't just wing this I can't just be like oh I'll be all right I've got to get my stamina there and I remember when, um, and that's the, the most, I'd say one of the biggest things to kind of make sure you're on top of with musical theatre because it affects everything, your vocal quality, your energy levels, your attitude while you're there. If you're tired, if you're not feeling your best, it affects everything. So you've got to really get on top of that. And then um, when I was doing competitions younger when I was singing, my mum used to say to me, go downstairs because my room was downstairs and um, I used to put on the steps because um, it was that time yeah. my life. Uh, <laughs> I used to put on the steps album and sing the song I was about to do for the competition mm-hmm. but as I was dancing to the steps album and just like constantly keep my my breath up and my energy wow. up so I was trying to sing it as strong as I did in the last song as I was in the first <laughs> so it's all about yeah energy and discipline and Gosh. yeah just going for it really yeah it sounds like you were you were a focused young lady I guess I was but when there's nothing else that you care about it made it a lot easier and you were I wasn't an adult at that point so I had no other responsibility so yeah I was able to because singing is another of your loves and talents again was that something that you focused on as a child you know alongside your performing your dancing your acting yeah I think what came first was the dancing um, with Mavis Taverner and um, yeah that was from like the age of three and then I did lots of other forms of dancing <laughs> rock and roll and like disco and contemporary anything that came my way I kind of did um, but I was always kind of singing in between like choirs I had singing lessons but I think at that moment in time I was a dancer because that's what I did predominantly and um I never really had the opportunity to do much acting. You know, I'd done Oliver and, and things like that in school and like amateur dramatics, but I was a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did sing. Yeah, I'd had my singing lessons. And I just remember again, always being told like, Carly, it's a choir. It's not a solo. <laughs> I was like one of those kids. So um, yeah, like a bit quieter, Carly, blend, you know, blend as your friend. Um, and then I went, and then I think it was like the final year of primary school. Um, there was a <laughs> our teachers and I saw him actually the other week and I said you know you you really kind of made me realize I wanted to do this even more bless him he was mortified because he was like no Carl's that was years ago you're fine but um, he wrote our school nativity and he wrote the part of fingers which was the um, a little thief in the in the nativity and it was written as if it was for a boy part and to me very confident, um, not yet humble or modest Carly, was like, this is the best part in the show. I want it. So I went for it and got it. And um, But he, I wrote in, uh, he wrote in uh, The Great Pretender and Always Look on the Bright Side of Life was two songs that finger sang. And I think my mum and all my family and the teacher then were like, oh, actually she can sing. So then it kind of took me down a different path of more singing lessons and you know, singing along to Whitney and um, Mariah at every opportunity. So, um, yeah, I kind of I kind of went from dancing into singing and then it led. 
into the singing competitions and you know if there was a break in the music I'd kick my leg you know so um <laughs> it was kind of like mixing them both so when I got an agent and got Hollyoaks that was like oh now I'm doing acting it was bizarre I yeah I don't know how I'm here actually if I'm honest with you because it was a blind naivety at, at times I know I, I love <laughs> it and, and then I, you know in terms of naivety I think sometimes I think sometimes it's good you know when people say yeah. Do you wish you'd known before what you know now? I think sometimes we all say no, you know. <laughs> Absolutely no. I wouldn't want to affect any path. There's a way, I, I don't even know whether I'd be here if I had. Even the bad stuff. I think it, you grow and you learn from it and it sculpts you, doesn't it, as to where you're going. Absolutely. And the, the phrase you said, blend is your friend. I have never heard that before, but I love it. Um, <laughs> although, you know, I reckon that your eagerness as a child probably yeah. has stood you in brilliant stead for the leads that you've gone on and played as an adult. Yeah. So you got Hollyoaks, oh, super young, age 17. Um, yeah, thinking I was an adult. Yeah, clearly wasn't. <laughs> you went to a normal school, didn't you? I mean, you didn't go to a stage school. Do you remember how that came about, that audition that opportunity for Hollyoaks? Yeah, so I was, yeah, I'd got myself an agent at 14, 15 because the singing competitions um, were kind of ranking up. Um, so yeah and then I think I must have had they said to me you usually get a job within five or seven auditions and I think Hollyoaks was my seventh audition now I'd gone for Hollyoaks I think the year before for Zara who I ended up playing her mate and didn't get it but then they'd called me back and said we liked her but let's get her in now for this one um, and so yeah so I think I was 17 and I was oh my gosh oh god I was at college, so yeah, I didn't go to a performing arts college, but Winston, the college where I did go, and my sister went as well, actually, it was quite known for its performing arts, it, it did really good shows, and a lot of their students then went to Lipper and Mountview and Guildford and things like that, and um, yeah, so I, I went out of college for my audition, and I think I remember someone saying to me, you know, always make sure you stand out or wear something striking, or, you know, have something about you that they go, oh, that girl with the red jumper, or that girl with the, so I put chopsticks in my hair. So um, apparently it seemed to work in my favour. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I remember going in and, and filming it and, um, and then literally being in class the next day and getting a phone call from the office and my mum was like, they want you to start tomorrow or even that day. Oh. I think it was quite mental. It was like, they need, they need you now. And that makes so much sense because I adore Hollyoaks on that place, but they are very unpredictable with their schedule. So that does not surprise me. Um, so I do remember kind of getting rushed into the makeup room I didn't even know my character's name at that point. I had three scripts put on top of me and a call sheet, which just looked like gobbledygook. And um, it was Gareth, who was the runner, and he was like, um, okay, this is this, this is you, da, da, da. and I was like, okay. Like, I just like really freaking out. And um, Helen uh, was the makeup artist. I'm still like on Facebook friends with these guys. And if I go to Liverpool, I'll see them. But she was like, oh, what should we do? And then Kelly, who played Zara, I remember her saying, give her a side ponytail. And I was like, Babe. So yeah, they did. They gave me a side ponytail, and Steph was born. So yeah, it was mental. <laughs> and was this was this everything that you had wanted and and hoped for? And and you know, did it uh, did it live up to your expectations? I think it was so fast, and I think I knew I only had three episodes. So it's really strange whenever this transition of myself happened from very confident 
but no, I wouldn't say I was an arrogant child. I think I'd like to say I was likable. Um, but this confidence and this um, exuberance of just this energy and this um, uh, very strong belief in herself. Then somewhere, maybe when I went to high school, it kind of started to soften because you realise you're not the biggest fish in the pond. And then there's lots of other girls who can do what you can do and all like that kind of thing. And I then there's some part of me that then started to become very more reserved and not as pushing of myself and a little bit more aware of myself. So I think when I found out that I got Hollyoaks and I was in college again, it was I was brand new in college and I only had three episodes, I started to be definitely different to how I was young, Carly. I started to be like, oh, it's only three episodes. You know, hold your horses, um, carry on with college, and this will, this will be lovely, dip your toe, stay quiet when you're in there, listen, observe, and then you'll probably be gone. You probably won't make very good friends with everyone because you're only there a little bit. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of went in, definitely not how the young Carly would have, would have gone in, um, and didn't really count my chickens if you know what I mean so I think I didn't allow myself to get massively excited I do remember finding out when I got when I got the phone call so yeah that was it so I got the phone call saying I got the job but then the next day in college my mum rang to say you have to go go like I'm picking you up wasn't even driving so um yeah when I got the phone call to say I got Hollyoaks I do remember I think it was just before like home and away or neighbours or something like that and then um, and I was like, oh my God, I need to ring everybody. And then I rang everybody. And then I was like, Neighbours is on. Sat down, watched Neighbours. And then Neighbours finished, rang everybody else. So like, yeah, I was, I was very excited. But I, I was apprehensive because it was only three episodes to, to begin with. Yeah. But those three episodes really quickly turned into five. And then that snowballed <laughs> into more. And then and before you knew it, you had a one-year contract. Yes. Yeah, it was lovely. I remember my mum being so like, oh my God, I think now looking back, I think she was just like, oh God, you know, thank God she's got some kind of stability. She's got money coming in. She's got, you know, I don't have to worry so much because my mum and my dad were working so hard. Um, like my mum had met my stepdad at that point and things were a little bit calmer, but it would, they'd ha- you know, we were working class, you know, and they probably had no idea what, how me and my sister were going to, go on in life so I think it was I couldn't kind of re- realize it all now that when I got that year and then when I got the next year I can just actually feel the relief in my mum that like Ooh, okay she can afford her own car she can afford to start saving for that first property you know like she I can imagine all these things going on in her head so um yeah it was a oh, massive wonderful relief and just that kind of um reassurance that you're doing a good job or that they liked you and you were accepted and in the field that you'd been working so hard to to be in for so long yeah and did you continue college um you know I did I mean my, my lecturers probably would have said I don't know why she bothered but <laughs> especially my English lecturer but um bless her she tried um but no I, I did I did I got good grades in my performing arts and my theatre studies and um, we'll just not mention English again but um yeah I did and I I'm so glad I did I loved college absolutely loved college and we did Jesus Christ Superstar there and we did Our Day Out Willie Russell Week um yeah and I was one of those again annoying kids who found the confidence again and yeah would try to be in everything but um I did. I love, absolutely love college. I just think it, you know, it gives you your independence. I started driving. It's when you find out who you are, isn't it, in college, I think. So, you know, I loved it. 
it's a, yeah, it's definitely a period of massive change and, and discovery. Yeah. Um, what was it like then, you know, being on screen? This is your first professional job that became your full-time job. Um, yeah. You're still a teenager. Did yeah. you w- did you very quickly just kind of get used to having a camera on you all the time and 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 working in that kind of medium that wasn't theatre or stage? Yeah, I don't know how I got used to it. To be honest, I think um, <clears throat> I was really lucky with when I first got Hollyoaks that I was in. They called it more um, reoccurring, so I was in every now and then, which meant I could carry on with college. But obviously, there were some days when I couldn't be there as well. But if I'd have got Hollyoaks and gone straight to a regular role, as my friend did Helen Noble, and we were in college together, and we'd been to high school together, she had to drop out of college because she couldn't, she couldn't physically do the both. So I was quite fortunate because everything was extremely gradual with me. So I got used to everything very slowly, which I think was a massive blessing. Um, and because I didn't know how many episodes I'd have, the money was being saved. I wasn't, you know, going, I buying everything like Prada handbags and you know Gucci shoes or whatever but um I didn't splash it I didn't and and thank god because you know many 17s would do that 17 year old would be like oh my god and like go out partying with the friends because it's the first time you're going out with your mates as well um but no it was that kind of save it because you don't know what's happening um and I think my first day on set again was so fast and kind of crazy that I didn't get to take everything in which probably didn't seem great but now probably was because I just got on with it so I probably didn't even know where the camera was at times because I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to face this girl and say lines and this is mental. I was in college this morning. So it was that kind of, and then you're off. So it, I kind of just hit the ground running, but I think that's probably how I work best. If I take too long to stress about stuff yeah. or see it coming, that's when I start to panic. Whereas if I just get on with it and do it, it's like, and I've done it. And I'm like, oh God, there it is. You know, it's that, it's that kind of mentality. Um, and everyone was so laid back at Hollyoaks. Everyone was just my age or a little bit older. And it was like being at college. It was like, it was like, actually, I kind of say to my friends and family, I kind of went to university. I just got paid. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how it felt, especially in Hollyoaks. Um, you know, everyone was out partying. Everyone was chatting. And as soon as they said cut, they were like, so anyway, what are you doing tonight? Da, 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 da. And it was just so relaxed that um, I can't, yeah, it was a really nice energy to, to kind of grow from really. So yeah, it, not as daunting as I thought it probably should have been. Sounds like you were really present during that time. You know, you were really kind of living in the moment and, um, and perhaps yeah. that's how you absorbed everything and, and I guess stayed grounded because um, yeah. do you think that because it was still near to home, you weren't moving to London or, or Manchester, do you think mm. that helped, you know, keep you on the right track? Because I guess lots of 17-year-olds in a big soap could potentially lose their way yeah yeah and I I did see it um I think my family are massive like the majority of that reason because even growing up it was that kind of and it's really tricky because you know you get little ones in your family now and if they're like showing off in front of the telly or they're being a bit you know in your face and I can't, me and my husband are like, oh God, what do you say to them? Do you kind of go like, oh, calm down now, chill out. Are you like stifling their growth and like, you know, squashing their confidence if you say this now? And I was like, well, no. When I was growing up, it was like, all right, stop showing off. Have a minute. You know, it was like that kind of um, chill out. Oh, you're past tired. You're giddy. Yeah. It was all of those kind of things, which sounds awful to some parents, but actually was the best thing because 
it wasn't like I was just that one child who sang every now and then and I, that, that was it my dreams were squashed forever it was I was that kind of kid so I think I was kept grounded and even with Hollyoaks it was that kind of all right yeah you're doing really well but come on get on with your college work or this is important as well or you know it I was it was done in such a lovely balanced way that I couldn't even tell you how and when it was done but it was just to remember what the important things were as well. And just to, I had such good friends around me, which are still my friends today. Like I've known Catherine since she's, since I was five and she was four. So, and we'd go out and I would, oh gosh, I remember, you know, oh my God. Yeah. I'll tell you what keeps you grounded. When your mum decides to give you a <laughs> hundred pounds a week, um, just to on a Friday night at midnight you would get a hundred pounds in your bank account even though you mean I had no idea what I was earning in Hollyoaks no idea because my mum would like take it put it in my bank account that I had no access to and feed me a hundred pounds a week in the bank account that I did have access to so what grounds you is when you're on a night out you're at zero amount of money you've borrowed your best mate's money and she's a student teacher, like literally in university training to be a teacher. And then at midnight, you toddle over to a cash point and you draw it out and give it her. That's what grounds you. And then on Saturday, you've got no money again. So yeah, that's, that's kept, that kept me grounded. Yeah, definitely. And I love so cool. your mum. <laughs> she's love- amazing. That's how I managed to buy my first house though, early 20s, because she was like, by the way, that money that I've been saving now you can go and have a look at house and I was like wow that's amazing thank you mum thank you (laughs) you know that's a brilliant idea to have money go in actually at midnight that's a really really clever thing to do (laughs) yeah the taxi drivers were always grateful can you stop at cash point otherwise I can't pay you (laughs) and it's one minute past midnight we're good Oh, Carly, your family sounds lovely and, you know, really... um... Lots of banter as well, like banter to keep you grounded, I think was the thing. You know, like my dad was like, all right, get off your eye, horse. You know, like, you're not in Corrie. You know, it was that (laughs) (laughs) So it was, yeah, it was good. And and it was always done in a lovely, heartfelt way, never in a derogatory way. It was nice. Oh, they sound lovely. So you decided, you know, I mean, you stayed in Hollyoaks for 10 years a decade that's a long long time um were you loving it were you in your element was it kind of ticking your ambition boxes challenging you fulfilling you um as a as a job and, and and the role that you played yeah massively so I was really really lucky with Steph like she came in as like Zara's best mate and like just like the the person that Zara could bounce off but she then became a little bit of a bitchy character so there's a venomous side to her um which was lovely because Hollywood just did some throwbacks and they were showing some episodes of that which was crazy I was so bad but um yeah like oh god um and then she kind of I remember being like an 18 17 18 year old girl after a year or two so maybe a bit older in Hollyoaks and thank god it was before social media and there was like um I'm so lucky about that. And then there was like Hollyoaks Forum and people were saying, oh, that's Steph, she's so nasty. She's really, really nasty. And as a young girl myself, I kind of was a bit like, oh, oh, I don't want to be the nasty one. I don't want to not to be liked, which is such a shame that I let that affect me like that, which just makes me realise how strong social media can have an effect on people. But, oh, um, but I think I managed to also think out of it, okay, the nasty characters and especially the way my character's going is not going to last long. So I have to make her a little bit likable. Otherwise 
she'll just be gone or she'll be the one that no one cares about. So I started to kind of twist my little bitchy lines into more comedy. Like I delivered them in a more comedy element because I thought, well, at least then there'll be more to her than just like straight out nasty. And then I, then Steph started getting more comedy parts and things kind of developed there. And I like a year or two of that would pass. And then I heard that, um, and I, I don't think they even told me directly. I think I heard someone talking about it in the office. Oh, Steph's getting a family. And I was like, oh. and that's when I knew I was like, oh, I'm here for a while now. <laughs> it's like, you've got to develop all these family members. So um, yeah, it was lovely. I'd say the first few years I was in and out so often, it was really hard to make roots there, make massive um, friendships there because also they didn't really know me that well because I'd flit in and out. And I, also with me living half an hour away the majority of people in Hollyoaks they live everywhere so when they start Hollyoaks they um live within like five minutes of the studio Mm -hmm. so they would be going out for lunch dinner you know all going out for a drink whereas I would be driving and be driving home and I had such a strong pull back home so the first few years I'd say I didn't really connect massively to the studio it was just like a job but it was it was fine and it was that was the blessing because it also kept me focusing on on my college work on my family and friends at home on other things going on and not just totally um losing myself in that world that when that would have ended I would have not known where else to go so it kind of kept me always I guess it started back then always kept my priorities in order my family and friends and other things in my life also mattered um and then when my family got cast in um in Hollyoaks which I'm still best mates now with Jodie and Guy Kevin oh Helen everybody they um that's when I guess I started to be a little bit more um in with the crowd I guess because I was more regular then um I was I was in all the time because I was with the characters we were a family and we we would go for dinner like the five of us would go for dinner and like we'd connect because we wanted that to read on screen mm. I would stay over at Jodie's at the weekend I think my confidence was building to go out in big cities rather than just out round Wigan um <laughs> and it also as well it was nicer because I would be going out with people who going through the same as me so like I always felt bad if I went out with my girlfriends back at home because if anyone did watch Hollyoaks they would always talk to me and not necessarily talk to my friends and I didn't like that Mm -hmm. so um it was different when I went out with my cast members because then it was like we were all treated the same which again was bizarre but um yeah it's yeah I guess when my family came into it that's when I started to infiltrate more of the studio be there a bit more learn you know everything about it like get on with more people like yeah I guess I started to to connect more to the building then because I was uh, yeah I was definitely in the floorboards of it but um yeah and then towards towards the end I'd been there so long and I just remember the feeling when I first started how you can get a little bit forgotten or overlooked because you're not there that much that I I just instinctively if anyone was new in Hollyoaks or if anyone looked like I did those first couple of days or weeks and a bit like oh my god where's this where's that and Hollyoaks is a wonderful place but it's very very fast paced Mm -hmm. and you would literally be brought up to the green room and gone okay sit there we'll come and get you in a minute you wouldn't have been shown the canteen you wouldn't have been shown where the toilet was because everyone was so busy you you wouldn't have been shown anything so I kind of took it on myself to if someone came up there and was like you know like looking terrified I'd be like hi I'm Carly right you don't know where everything is come on like and I'd be the one to do that because I just remember how that felt for me Mm -hmm. um 
and then yeah I think I just I did become part of the wallpaper for like 10 years it was just so lovely and it was just so easy I was 30 minutes away from home I had my beautiful family in, in Hollyoaks my beautiful family at home Steph had all these cracking storylines she was comedy she was nasty she was lovable she was all rounded and yeah I got, I got epilepsy as a storyline cancer that seen me off um yeah I married twice um you know all these amazing storylines I was massively challenged and uh, and in a beautiful place with amazing people around me so yeah I, yeah I stayed there a long time <laughs> sounds fantastic Carly what was it like getting noticed was that something that you realized did you notice a, a transition in oh I'm getting spoken to oh so and so is noticing me oh there's a camera in my face yeah I think I had you know I think the first time I remember getting recognized I must have been with Catherine in St Helens Woo, St Helens um and I think we were right outside the tuck shop and I think Catherine was like oh my god that girl's looking at you or whatever and it was that kind of oh weird and like I, did, I, so I do I remember that moment but Again, what really helped was how slowly I progressed in the show that 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 became it wasn't like I'd just done like a week of Coronation Street, which was clearly bigger. And then it was like, boom, you're in everyone's faces and everyone's lounges and they know you straight away. It was so, so slow and so, so lovely in that sense. And also because Hollyoaks wasn't watched massively by everyone. Um, I knew, for instance, I could walk through Marks and Spencers and be absolutely, absolutely fine. But if I walked through Topshop, that would be completely different. Like, I knew, I knew that. Um, I knew my um, kind of clientele in that sense. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it also came with that like turning of age where I was becoming more of who I wanted to be and I was becoming like a woman and going out more and first time going to clubs and bars wanting to be seen Mm. so I think I don't know I think it kind of timed it with that as well with having a confidence that came over me anyway um and having that confidence coming from yeah that that kind of oh you people might know you and especially to the the people I'm walking in the room too you know like I would be going to bars and clubs and going out with my mates feeling all good and all your girls dressed up on a Friday Saturday night wanting the attention Mm -hmm. and so when I was getting some attention um it kind of yeah it probably did make me feel really good at first but I was quick you know like it would be so lovely to be around my girls and know and be able to feel and tell the difference of those people who were chatting to me because of that or those people who were chatting to me anyway mm. and um I you know I the, the guys I dated or the people I knocked about with were very much guys I'd probably known for a really long time I went to college with or kind of sussed out mm-hmm. um I was very me and my girls were very protective on a night out anyway but um I, yeah we wouldn't kind of be blindsided or attracted to mm those people who were clearly just talking to me or us because of what I did mm. um and yeah with it like back then thank god again there was no social media because it, you kind of I you never really got any like paparazzi or anything like that it would only be if there was a Hollyoaks party on the docks or mm-hmm. in, in the clubs that they knew about and then you just have a few paparazzi outside and trying to get you on the way out as well um so it never really infiltrated my life. It never really took over. It never was really too much. You could control where it was um, because no one really ever watched it. <laughs> um, you could, 
you knew I could go out around town or go anywhere and just like wear my scruffs and not care because I was under the radar and that that's what was quite nice and so the little bits that I did feel were kind of flattering and lovely but not massively overwhelming so it was it was again easy to control which was nice and and again like really slowly done so I could ease into it which was definitely a blessing yeah sounds like you are a really good judge of character and you've got a lot of social <laughs> awareness as well um what it brought definitely that's what it brought yeah kind of opened your eyes straight away yeah and again you know even up to the point where you left Hollyoaks you're still very very young and you could have been more impressionable than you were you were nominated Carly for some best actress awards weren't you while you were in <laughs> Hollyoaks yeah best best actress best comedy and best exit <laughs> but I think it was Vera Duckworth who left the same year I did so I knew she had that one in the bag so, um, yeah, yeah, that was really nice at the Soap Awards. I loved those events. Yeah, every year getting dolled up and going watching it. Yeah, it was good. Well, you know, congratulations because it's an amazing um, part of your kind of career path. Yeah. So you left Hollyoaks to really carve a new path for yourself and fulfill that musical theatre part of you that I yeah. guess had been tapping you on the shoulder saying you know oh gosh yeah come on come back um yeah I I, I think my, yeah again I kind of fell into acting with the whole that was my first job when really I'd been gunning for some form of singing and dancing together um and yeah so then I got Hollyoaks but a few years in I remember actually and it's and hopefully I will I'll waffle on and I'll get to the point of this but um my best mate Catherine bought me so I'd been in Hollyoaks about two three years I think this was my 20th birthday present she got me um tickets to go and watch Beauty and the Beast at Manchester and she got me front row of the circle which is the best seat and um literally as the music started and the curtain came up I cried and I didn't even know I was about to I just was like <gasps> like that and just cried and I just turned together and went, I need to do this. I need to do this. Like, I just, it just, it, it was in me. And then um, she's like, okay, let's just watch the show. Um, <laughs> but I don't know, she's very supportive. And then, um, so yeah, so that happened. And then me and Catherine, like, we always loved singing anyway. And we had a little girl group in, in high school called Chitch. And then... Um, and one of my other friends, Abinabo, who I ended up doing Legally Blonde with, um, was in that as well. And so we were like always singing. Helen Noble, who did um, Hollyoaks as well with me, we were in that. And we were always putting little concerts on in school. And I was always the girl who was like, right, we're doing, in, in assembly, we're going to do a dance. Like I was one of those girls. I was still trying to keep it going through college and through high school. And um, so even through Hollyoaks, that obviously that was my 20th birthday present. I was like, right, let's get these girls back together. Let's do, let's do some gigs somewhere. And um, I was still always singing with my good friends, Catherine. I'd met Emma and Emma at that point. We'd, we were putting on gigs in places. We were doing, we were hiring halls, Monaco Ballroom in Hindley, and putting on um, events to raise money for charity. And all my friends would pool together that we'd met over the years and be like, can you sing a solo? We'll sing a duet, then we'll sing one together, then we'll do that. So we're always doing that. We're finding like young dancers to get them on so that they'd break up the singing always doing stuff like that and then we ended up forming a band the four of us um emma emma myself and Catherine, called diamond i did not pick the name so um 
<laughs> that's Emma's fault. So um, yeah, and we we did Gay Pride in Belfast, in Manchester. We would sing Andrew's sister's set. We would sing musical theatre set. We would sing pop set. We'd take songs and we'd put our own spin on it. Um, and we'd just be gigging. I think we supported, we did a gig once in Blackpool. Beverly Knight was at, Lamar was at. It was like, yeah, we, we actually went on and sang Before Girls Aloud just as they kind of took off a bit more in Milton Keynes. Um, yeah, we were kind of gigging here, there and everywhere. So that was my way of still singing whilst I was in Hollyoaks. Um, and that was lovely because I was practicing and rehearsing with my best mates. Like none of us had massive commitments at that point. We just started dating guys and stuff. And like all through my twenties, that's kind of what we were doing. We were like gigging and hanging out and going, putting our makeup on, doing Christmas light switch ons, you know, all these things. Oh. It was, it was lovely. So I was still doing Hollyoaks, but I was doing that at the weekends and it was perfect because they were my best mate, you know? So yeah, that was, that was really lovely. I was getting my outlet there. Yeah. And I think when that came a bit too much or when they started meeting their future husbands and having babies and I was like 26, 27, I was like, I'm going to have to do this professionally because the, I, I've got this now. And, and I was about to have been in Hollyoaks for 10 years. So I felt like that was a really nice round number to kind of move on and start the next chapter. Wow. That sounds just very, very creative and actually quite entrepreneurial of you as well to you know yeah we love a bit of that (laughs) that bubbling away and I guess for your voice it must be quite important as a singer to to be using the voice you know continually because it's a muscle isn't it and so I guess if you're not using it and then you go into a show it's probably quite a shock to the system so did you feel then when you came out of Hollyoaks and you auditioned for Legally Blonde? Did you feel right? I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Bring it on. I did. But <laughs> um, so I I went and told my producer of Hollyoaks, Brian, he's the producer now. Um, I went to him and I said, um, look, I'm thinking of leaving. And he was like, no, don't. And I was like, no, I kind of have to because like I just have to. I said, but um, let me go and try for a year to do musical theatre. And I'll come back with my tail between my legs. Just just let me have a year off. I just need, this is something I need to do. And he was like, okay, all right, let, I'll think about it. And then he came back and gave me the cancer storyline, and which was amazing. And, I, and, and he said, look, you've been in it for so long. You're an institution pretty much in this place. If we give you this storyline, it will have much more of an impact than someone who just comes in and they don't really know, and they've not got used to them. He said, like, you're someone who they think they're gonna have, you're going to be on their screen forever now because you've been here for so long. So if you have something like this and it affects you badly, in the gravest sense of the word, it, it will be more of a shock to the women watching because it was ovarian cancer to do something about it themselves, to get checked, to go and have their smear, to... It will have just more of an impact if we do it properly. And we really carry on this storyline and it's going to be about a year's storyline. And I was like, okay, if we're going to do this, I want to do it properly. Um, it's not just going to be a quick three month storyline. Let's do it. Um, and at the time I wasn't sure um, how I feel about leaving. I just was thinking about what was coming after, but I'm so glad I got given that storyline because yeah, I, I just, I felt so um, grateful to be trusted with it. Um so yeah, so I had that. So I knew I was leaving, I think, 
um, it was around about May, June, July, and I knew I was leaving around September. So I started auditioning then for things that were happening in September, October. And so I went for Legally Blonde. Now, like you said, I was, I was singing all the time. And if you just said to me, oh, sing this, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Because like, I, I was, I, I'm definitely one of those people who's like, nothing's impossible. If one person can do it, then someone else can do it. Like I was, yeah, I, I naively probably thought I could sing every Mariah song, which was probably really wrong. Um, so yeah, I was clearly partly deaf as well at the time. But so yeah, I was massively confident. And so I went into this Legally Blonde audition thinking I can sing anything. And um, I remember them saying, yeah, that was a great audition. <laughs> but I didn't, I wasn't technical. I hadn't really, I, I thought I could sing everything, but I hadn't trained on how to sing everything. Mm -hmm. So I probably wasn't reliable in my voice. And I probably was singing notes, but I don't know how I was singing them. I couldn't have told you how. So when, um, when I got Legally Blonde, I got given the understudy first this is a massive journey of a, this is, yeah, this is a massive journey. So I got given the understudy first and I was, it was Sheridan Smith at the time. And then um, yeah, Susan McFadden was to play her afterwards. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I was first cover. Now I went in with this naivety and this confidence that I'd done enough that I was first cover and I, I was confident in what I could do. I knew what I could do. But I didn't know then what I should have done is that I had to show them what I could do. I had to prove to them I could do this. I had to prove to them I could carry a show. I could lead a show, which I think I just thought, yeah, get me on that stage. I'll be fine. Now, I, didn't, I also didn't know then that I am not so great in rehearsals, but stick a light on me. Put me on that stage. Give me an audience. I come alive. I didn't know that because I'd been just rehearsing with my mates and they know what I'm like and they know who I am and they know what I'm like on stage. Whereas rehearsing in a room with strangers where they're going, come on, this girl needs to prove that she can do this when she goes on. They needed to have more faith in me and needed to see it from me to have that faith. And I wasn't bringing it. And um, I just remember my director, who thank God I've worked with since, was like, um, Carly, come on, you need to bring it. And I was like, yeah, no, I will. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. so they, they, um, they put me on one night. I'm, I'm actually skimming through a lot of this story because it was months of, um, of a massive journey. But um, basically, they didn't really know if I had it or not. So they demoted me mm -hmm. and gave me, they put me down to third cover. Mm -hmm. And they brought in Nicola Brazil, who I adore, as first cover. Now, I could have been funny with her, but I thought that's not her fault. This is on me. She's a beautiful girl. She deserves this. If the shoe was on the other foot, I would have been the one going, yeah, thanks. Give me a job. Great. Um, so me and Nicola are still friends, actually. She just had her third baby. She's amazing. So, um, and that kind of made me go, it was the best thing they could have done because it made me go, whoa, I need to pull my socks up. I need to come back fighting. I need to not feel safe that I've come straight out of Hollyoaks and got this job. I need to be like, I need to t show them I deserve to be here and I've earned this and I am good at this role and I can do this. Now, at the time, I just wanted to get my first cover back. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be first cover again. So they said to me, well, I said, look, if, you, if I'm only here because I'm the girl off television, if I'm only here to tick a box, I want to go because I've come, I've come from somewhere where I knew I was good at it mm -hmm. and I know I can sing, but I was being made to feel like I wasn't good enough there. 
So I was like, I need to do, I need to do this. I need to get me back in rehearsal and I'll show you what I've got. And I remember the first day back in rehearsals, I only had a week more of, of them. Dom kind of put his hands out and he was like, okay, punch my hands. And I whacked him. <laughs> I was like, I'm here. And he was like, this is all I wanted to see. Just some kind of fight in you. I was complacent. I was massively complacent. Um, I think I'd had it so lovely and cushy for 10 years. Mm. And then I was picked up, put in London. I'd left the Hollyoaks on the Saturday and I started Legally Blonde on the Monday. Wow. So it was, it was like that. And I think I'd gone from such a lovely world of protectiveness and family and friends and cushy, cushy, 10 years of comfy to here thinking I'd just take that energy with me. And yeah, I'll do that. I'll sing that. That's great. Oh, I'll do it in a minute. It was that kind of vibe. And they were like, Carly, this is a West End show. Like you can't just come in with this energy. So yeah, I came back fighting. And um, after about a week or two of more rehearsals, I knew the material. I think they just wanted to see, see me fight for it. See mm. me be as hungry as those girls that had been to drama college and had mm. been, you know, in those lessons every day and like fighting for parts over each other. I'd never had that because for 10 years in Hollywood, Steph was mine. If I was ill, no one else was going to play that role. If I you know was flag, like flagging a little bit they weren't going to replace me with somebody else I I hadn't had that we'd I'd, there'd always been a nice support network around me and not that there isn't in theatre but you've got to stay on top of your game because there is always somebody else who will come and take it away from you so I needed that energy and that attack so I had two more weeks one to two weeks of rehearsals with Dom and he was like we're going to give you a show and I was like really? And he's like, yeah, I need to see what you like on this stage. And I was like, okay. And um, of course, all my family came, even my two <laughs> very heavily pregnant friends, came, <laughs> Catherine and Jane, um, who were like, were bound to drop, I think two, two months later, they came. Um, and Dom came to my room afterwards. And it's really uncomfortable when you feel like you're blowing your own trumpet. But it was a massive, massive journey for me to get there. And I was definitely not so good leading up to it. And he just went, that's what you needed. He went, you came alive. And I was like, I know, <laughs> that's what I needed. But um, yeah, and he was like, yeah, he said that, that, yeah, you had them. And I was like, okay, that's good, that's good. And, but this was, I think I started in September and from November to, I want to say February, was that transition period, was my confidence just went like this and in February that's when I got my first show I think it was the 22nd of February was my first show wow. and then in April I was given L so yeah it was wow. like yeah yeah that was daunting but but brilliant I just needed a kick up the bum basically long way of telling you I needed a kick I needed a kick up the bum but it was the best thing that they could have done and I worked with them again later at Dirty Rotten Scoundrels oh. it was just that hunger that fight that not being complacent, not sitting on your laurels, just fighting for it, which I hadn't needed for 10 years. But Carly, you know, you're really switched on to <laughs> life and kind of being retrospective and understanding the person clearly you are. Because it's not easy to say, oh, I needed to kick up the bum, you know, That's for any of us to say, oh, you know, I just needed to change the way I was a little bit. And you're saying that this is, you know, lead role Elwood's 2012 it's now yours were you just in your element had had it felt like it had all been worth it then oh god I even remember feeling that way on opening night and and it was so funny because everyone was saying to me like so it was our opening night of Legally Blonde I was Margot cover L 
in the best job in the world, like literally the best job in the world. I went in there and it was like, you've got real dogs. And they were like, yeah, I mean, dog person. And then I was like, do we get to take them home? Like joking. And they were like, oh yes, no, you have to, because you need to bond with the dogs. And I was like, this is the, this is literally the best job in the world. So I was like, fuzzy. Um, I, I only thought I would be there for a year. So all my belongings and everything was still in my garage that I was renting out my home, my home, but I like the garage was mine. So I was like, all my stuff was in there. Cause as far as I was concerned, I was moving away for a year, living the dream for a year and then coming back and God knows what was going to happen. Um, so then at that point, I didn't feel like I'd left home. I just felt like I was on this adventure. So that was amazing. I was living with my best mate as well. Emma came down and started living with me and auditioning down there. Um, so yeah, this was wonderful. And I remember opening night, everyone was saying to me, you've got people coming. And I was like, yeah, like, obviously. And I didn't know then that that wasn't the thing to do because you wait for press night or you wait till you've done it a few times first before you invite everyone down to opening night. But to me, that was the biggest night. It was the opening night. And I've never really seen the difference. Like I don't wait or save it till press night. Like to me, those people watching an opening night are going to get the same performance that they're going to get on press night. Yes, there's an added energy. And yes, there's a bit more of a buzz on press night. But I'm going to, it's still first night for me. So like, you know, it's not going to be any different weeks down the line. So um, I had everybody in on opening night. And that, yeah, I was Margot. And I just remember the end of Oh My God, like the seven minute song that opens the, the show. And we all end in, you know, our pose. And I just, oh, it's just like the rush, isn't it? Just like, and I remember just feeling like my mum will be able to see my face from here and see my grin from here and just see how elated I am and like how in my element I am and I know my mum will be like tingling with happiness the way I am right now on this stage like that I just remember feeling that in that moment it was just electric it was beautiful and I had no idea of the journey that was about to come but um I guess I'd had it and I, I just had had it just a little bit too easy and um you know I I was knew I was leaving Hollyoaks I knew I'd already got Legally Blonde and then I left and walked straight in I mean if you could say to someone oh yeah so from 17 you get a job like you win singing competitions you win them and you get the part in the plays you go for and then you get Hollyoaks and then you know you're gonna leave Hollyoaks and then you get the West End show and that is literally how I was being I was like oh wow life is amazing (laughs) and then I'd put the work in I'd massively put the work in but it didn't feel like work because I loved it so I'd done it all but I still was literally living my best life and it was easy and I think they needed to see me work hard for something and that's what I needed to do and that's what's helped me now kind of get other jobs and and get the slap in the faces and get the knockbacks and get the turndowns and just work for it. And you want to see someone in your rehearsal room instead of coming in and being like, oh, we're singing this today. Okay. You want to see someone go, yeah, I've already rehearsed it. Yeah, I'm on it. This pay, you know, you want, you want that. I'm really painting a bad light of myself, but no, I think I just was flying high and I needed to be like a bit more (laughs) grounded. I saw the show, um, not in London, but when it came on the tour uh, down to Southampton, and I I loved it. I think possibly... Well, yeah, that would have been. Possibly more than the film, and I loved the film, but I just thought the show, the energy, the fun, the humour, the the colour, it was just just gorgeous. Um, Yeah. And what you you were talking about, your mum, and how she could see you kind of almost breathe, if you like, being that close, that's... Maybe yeah. well up because uh, I must have just been so unbelievably proud. So, yeah. um, 
Carly, I'm aware of the time and that we're running out. Of oh, sorry, no, no, it's great. But uh, so, how long did you um, stay in Legally Blonde for? Because let's not forget that you went into Shrek in 2013, playing Princess Fiona. You mentioned Dirty Rotten Scoundrels yeah. earlier, which again I saw. In fact, my husband reminded me last night when we were having dinner. He went, "I think we saw Carly in that actually, Shrek, uh, at the Mayflower." <laughs> yes, yes, you would have done. Yeah. That was our last week, I think, at the Mayflower. Yeah. Um, you were in Les Mis. Hello. Hello, Les Mis. Massive. <laughs> so clearly your musical theatre career just propelled from Legally Blonde. Yeah. I, I, um, so I did Legally Blonde for 18 months. Um, I think it was like seven as Margot and then the rest as Elle. Um, and then unfortunately we got our notice and then it went on tour with Faye Brooks who then did Coronation Street and then we I knew I was leaving Legally Blonde and got Shrek and I ended up doing Shrek with Dean Chisnell who I went to college with so um, I was with our Dino and I did that for 10 months then that went on tour and Faye Brooks did that as well it's like me and Faye are like hey um, so yeah so then Shrek and then I had I came up north packed my bags, came up north because I didn't have a job at that point. Um, I'd met Danny, so I was like getting back to all my family, seeing my family, being the auntie, seeing my fella who was then in Hollyoaks and it was weird because we'd just like cross paths. And um, and so then I got Spamalot. So I did a few months in Spamalot, which I just remember watching that show. I I got offered Spamalot. I hadn't auditioned for it. I auditioned for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels on, in the West End. And they said, we're not ready to have you for that, but can we have you for Spamalot instead? And I was like, okay. So I went and saw Spamalot, knew and I was about to be in it and just peed my pants laughing all the way through. I was like, get me in this show. I love this show. So yeah, so took over from Bonnie Langford, which I never thought I would ever be able to say in any role ever. But um, that was that was an honour. So I did that for about five months. Then I did Dirty Rock Scoundrels on tour, met Noel Sullivan, love of my life. And then... Um, and I had the best time on that show. It was just so fun. Oh, again, funny. That was probably one of the main times in my life when that curtain came down in the interval. I was like, this is my life. Like, I just, I was getting paid to see our beautiful country, uh, to, to make people laugh, to sing some amazing songs, to work with the nicest, happiest, funniest people. Um, Michael Prade was a dream. Um, oh, can I tell you a secret? I used to have a big crush on Michael Prade. Oh, don't we all? (laughs) And then I interviewed him and I told him. Oh, did you? (laughs) He's very charming about it, though. (laughs) Oh, he's a dream, isn't he? Yes. Oh, he's not one of your podcasts. I have to listen to that one. I didn't see it on your list. He's not yet, but I'm worried if I approach him or his agent and ask that he might go, no, Shireen, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> love it. Oh, please do. Oh, I love Michael. Oh, he's a dream. Oh, you've got to have it on there. You've got to. And his will go on longer than mine because he can talk too. I love him. Um, oh, yeah, Michael Prade. He came watching Lame is actually made a lovely catch-up. He's a dream. Um, yeah, so Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Then I did Lame is, which I went for. Um, uh, I actually went into Cameron McIntosh's office and um, I was I had my little heels on and I was like, oh, do you know what? Can I just take my heels off? Because <laughs> you know when you're that nervous, you feel like you're slayed. Yeah. And I was like, I'll take you. So I took my shoes off in Cameron McIntosh's office. And he he's brilliant. He was just brilliant. And he was like, is that your natural hair colour? And I was like, what's this got to do 
really random. Does he know she wears a wig? Right, okay. So yeah, so I did that for, I did it for two years. Wow. And I remember the biggest compliment to me was actually getting my contract renewed because I felt like, you know, sometimes you can get a job and they can take a risk on you. Because I still had at the back of my head, oh, is this because of, you know, I'd done telly and, and Danny was like, Carl, no, you've earned it. And I was like, okay. And I think with Les Mis, you kind of go, they don't just hire anyone. So Carl's, you know, this is, this is, this is big. So when you then get asked to stay, it's like affirmation. It's like, oh, they really like what I'm doing. So um, yeah, it was lovely. And that was, I'd say, since Hollyoaks, probably the next big family I became a part of because it had been there for so long, like 25, 30 years. So I came into an institution. So it was beautiful. And there have been some, again, long lasting friendships from that show. Um, very supportive and just, oh, I mean, it was lame is. It was lame is. I mean, I still pinch myself. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> I mean, Carly, was it, did you find then that, you know, from 2012 to, to 2020 this year when you were in curtains, um, which you were at the end of the run when it, the curtain had to come down for COVID, okay. COVID. Did, you, did you find <laughs> that period, was it fairly plain sailing? You know, one show into another show into another show, you know, or were you, were, were you really grafting for it? Were you on that audition circuit again going, oh, here yeah. I am, take me on? Yeah, before I got um, Dirty Rotten, no, I think it was actually before I got Spam a lot and before I got Les Mis, they were my longest chunks out of work. I think I think the longest was seven months. I mean, I've signed on. I've like done stuff in between to keep to keep me afloat. Otherwise, I literally wouldn't have had anything. Um, you know, um, we, we were getting married before Les Mis, so all my money was go- <laughs> was going into that. So yeah, it's I've I've had time off, and I've been to those auditions where I've cried when I've come out because I'm like they haven't gone my way, or I just knew I could have done it better and. And there was even a time, I think, when I remember chatting to Dave Kennedy, who played Danny's dad in, in Hollyoaks, and I just said to him, we're at dinner, and he was like, you're all right, you're not seeing yourself. And I was like, I just think this isn't for me anymore. I think I've got to leave. I've got to leave. Because I'd had it so bloody easy. <laughs> and then now this was my first time at going, oh, it's been months. And um, and he was like, Carl, stick at it. Just keep sticking at it. This is actually what it is like. Like, you've been quite fortunate. So this is what it's like. And I was like, okay. And thank God he did that. Because I think that's when I got spam a lot. And then Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. And then ultimately, Les Mis. Um, and yeah, I was out of work when Danny was doing Strictly. So we were at polar ends of our life at that point. We were at, like the other side of the spectrum to each other. So it was really like, gosh, like, yeah, really eye-opening. And and yeah, and then Les Mis happened. So I'd, I've definitely had some, yeah, auditions are hard. They're brutal. They are brutal. But I, I teach workshops as well. And I just say to them, and it's kind of just saying it out loud. So it kind of sinks in here as well. It's that kind of, if you are prepared as much as possible, and if you are confident in your choices, that's all you can do. Like you go into that room, you deliver that. And then you walk out and you leave them to it. And it's never personal. They're just looking for that. That's someone who fits that jigsaw piece. And um, if you've done everything you can, that's all you can do. And um, yeah, so I'll keep grafting. I'll keep, I'll keep trying and see what strikes next after this. Carly, you sound so wise. And I was going to say, because I was looking on your social media and I know that you've been doing some teaching workshops and things. Have you thought about you know going into producing or directing or 
you know, that line of things a bit more because you do sound so knowledgeable in how the industry works, how the business works, you know, the things to do, the things not to do, the little pitfalls, you know, and I think you could kind of give so much to, I guess, you know, the next generation coming through or, or even, you know, your peers and, you know, anyone in the industry. Thank you. Um, I'd, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have been teaching workshops with a good friend I met on Spam a lot, Bobby, who's from Wigan as well. Um, and we were doing that like once every three months while I was in Les Mis. And that was lovely. And we got, you know, a good crowd of kids with us. And, and it was, but I think what I found that I loved the most out of it was building confidence and was spotting that quiet kid and finding what made them tick and giving them that solo or giving them that dance bit or you know finding what kind of brought them alive and investing in that more so than the teaching them how to sing the song brilliantly mm-hmm. um I think I was more about that and it's funny you, you should say that actually because you sound like one of my best mates Emma because she's like Holly you need to do this but um in lockdown obviously when many of your options are taken from you even normal jobs not so many anymore um I kind of have come up with a few ideas of I would love to go to um the colleges the arts colleges and chat with casts when they're first and you know when they're first put together and I would love and I think it's it's essential that we do have these conversations about what not to do what to do what to focus on the pitfalls the how to handle yourself in situations how to handle your social media Mm -hmm. how to deal with coming out of stage door and some of the situations you might meet there I would actually love to and I have thought about this quite intensely of of setting something up like that like I've even reached out to equity about going forward with something like that I I would love to just sit and have little powwows with with Art Said or Mount View and have an hour or two with them and be like okay ask me the questions I'll be really honest with you you know like even these things about being complacent and about how you are perceived and being aware of yourself and just think touching on some of the aspects of um life lessons that doesn't necessarily get taught in the class so yeah I would I would actually really love to go into something like that I think you would be brilliant and I think you are inspirational you really are and you know and you're still a baby in the industry as well (laughs) and I I, I mean that as a compliment no I think it was (laughs) um even with the the years of experience you've got I I think you know Carly you're so warm I oh thank you Angelou um you know, we didn't mention before that you also got into Lipper and Mountview um, <laughs> as yeah. you got Hollyoaks. So, yeah. you know, I think it would be brilliant you going into all those arts colleges and, and chatting, chatting to all the youngsters. Um, what has this year been like for you? You've spoken so openly and candidly about, you know, being out of work in the industry, which, oh gosh, you know, everyone I've spoken to, you know, has been. Um, yeah. throughout their careers but you were in curtains um, at the Wyndham's Theatre when lockdown happened around a month uh, from that finishing how's it all been Carly this crazy peculiar 2020 crazy is the word isn't it um very crazy I think I must have said crazy every day since it happened um I remember sharing a room with the amazing Rebecca Locke and um, in curtains and she was like babe, I think they're going to like lock down the over 70s for three months. And I was like, no, they can't do that. You know what I think? I can't do that. But no, they did it to everyone in the world instead. <laughs> so it was, I was like, yeah. And I even said the night before we closed, 
they won't close it. The show must go on, you know, like that kind of thing. And then, yeah, we all got closed and, and you think it's going to be two weeks. Then you think maybe a month, maybe we'll start in September. And I think because I was mentally prepared to not have a job, I was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I've done two years of Les Mis and then straight into curtains and, you know, we got married in all of that. We started building our house. A lot was going on, like a lot was going on when, when the pandemic hit that I think I was ready for a break anyway, personally, not to this extent, not for everybody, but I was prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, I was okay. Uh, and what was really lovely is, you know, we'd been married for two and a half years and we saw each other Sundays and we didn't know the effect that that was having on us until we were actually living with each other every day and being like, this is what it should be like. Like this is, there's so many things we need to learn about ourselves again and, and adjust and get used to and be married and be our couple rather than separate who were together one day a week. Mm-hmm. So I was very grateful actually of the time. I wish it wouldn't have been in that way, mm-hmm. but um, we, we were grateful of the time. We were in Bognor Regis, so the sun was out. We were with our boys and they're both, they're both here now. Um, and we were blessed in that sense that we were kind of, we were literally in our bubble then. And Touchwood, my family and friends were okay. And um, it was scary, it was crazy, but I was grateful of the time. I kept myself busy. I've, I've become a little bit obsessed with working out although it doesn't really show because I drank my way through the pandemic. Drank <laughs> <So, laughs> anything I wanted. Didn't we all? I mean, those COVID pounds, I'm still paying the price for now. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's the thing. Actually, I, ironically, my husband is now running past the house because he's not finished. He's clearly working out still, making me feel very jealous because I can't. But yeah, he's running past me as we speak. So um, yeah, I've started running. Um a funny story is that I used to go running with Danny anyway and then in the pandemic he was like we should run together again and I was like if you ask me that I swear to god I would divorce you because like I hated running with it I hated it it was like I hate this I hate this with every step and then I went running with his sister because uh, she was doing couch to 5k and I was like my god I love running and it's because he runs too bloody fast that's what it is whereas me and Jade have a nice little jog on and I enjoy it I get my podcast on so when we run together I'm like you're at my pace and we're not running at all so um yeah so I, I love my running that really helped really really helped mentally mm-hmm. oh just to feel that blood pumping just to feel that new energy just to even if I was in a lull and a bit fed up and as we I mean it was Groundhog Day it still is Groundhog Day mm-hmm. for so many people to the point where it's like, what day is it? Like genuinely fed up. I'd just get my kit on and go for a run and feel so much better. Mm. Um, I did a sign language course because I did sign language years ago. So I did that. So I saw that on your, your, you know, your CV. And I thought, when did she learn sign language? Was that, was that something that was taught at college? No, I well, I went, I took myself back to school when, um, when I was in Hollyoaks, I must've been in it for about five years. And I do think I get, I don't realize this, but I do think I get a bit tetchy and a bit like I need to do something else. So, um, I took myself back to college and I did Spanish flexi course. So I'm, I'm still doing Spanish now, but again, she'll probably laugh at me and be like, yeah, you should be way better than this by now. Um, sign language. And um, I used to go to night school after Hollyoaks and do sign language and I did pass my grade one. So I just refreshed it while I was in lockdown. Um, 
but yeah, I just tried to keep myself busy. We did Zoom chats for co- like um, for schools, you know, mm-hmm. like young youngsters learning. We did a few of them. I did a few self tape recording things for charities. But in all fairness, to be fair, we we did kind of shut ourselves away from the world a little bit. And I and I did delete all my social media apps at one point, <laughs> and that was quite nice. That was really, really nice because you didn't feel like you were missing out on anything because nothing was going on. Yeah. Um, you didn't have the pressure of must keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are at home drinking Prosecco at two o'clock in the afternoon. So it was like, I could do that. So I did, I deleted all the apps and we really focused on building the house, which I keep gesturing this way because we're in my mother-in-law's at the moment and our house is next door. So mm-hmm. we had a massive project to be doing and we joked, we did actually joke about it. We were like, okay, so... We're selling my house that I moved out of in Billinge um, to pay for this one. <laughs> so we're selling a house. We're building another. Neither of us are working. We're in a pandemic. What else can we do? <laughs> so we were like, we've had a lot of stuff going on, which has worked as a beautiful distraction. Um, and yeah, just just yeah, being grateful that we're experiencing it this way rather than how so many other people have. And um, yeah, I've kept myself, I think the exercising, being with the boys, having an excuse to take them out every day and having a project as big as the house next door um, has kept me going. Yeah, massively so. Carly, it sounds, you know, like you've been spinning quite a lot of of plates. That's Um, how we've worded it. We do feel like that. And we've said, 2021, can we just spin one and watch it rather than spin all the other That does feel how we're doing it. (laughs) Yeah. So Carly, there is so much more we, we could have spoken about and, and perhaps we will another time. Your singing, your country singing that you love. I know that you made a short film, Prone to Hummus, during lockdown. Yes, yes. yeah, gosh, I did that, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> Where can they go to check it out, Carly, if they're interested in watching um, it? Well, I've put all the links on my Twitter um, and because I came back on to do the campaign for the, for the um, animals, um, the yeah raising money for charity so i came back on so it's on twitter it's on my instagram um yeah prone to hummus it's got its own um instagram site is distanced so the um the instagram site is called distanced for the uh, for the scenes that you can find prone to hummus is on there and mark goldthorpe has wrote quite a few and they're beautiful and they're only short quick 10 minutes um and some amazing characters leslie joseph has done one and and things like that yeah so there's some lovely scenes really poignant and really like of this time so um yeah it's nice it's nice to watch that go and check it out everybody i know how much you love your dogs and you are a big animal campaigner as well um again that might be something we need to talk about another time but i think everything is on all of your social media feeds which i will i will share and tag in so that so carly my last two questions to you today are how do you relax in amongst the the busyness of of your kind of creative mind (laughs) that's the thing yeah distracting it um I always think a nice warm bath not hot I freak out when it's too hot um a nice warm bath candles glass of wine my um uh audio book playing I've just devoured untamed Glennon Doyle which is the best book I've ever read so I love that even going for a little jog, I won't say run, it's a jog, but with my podcast on, um, something that kind of just switches off the active brain. Um, and to be fair, I, my, my happy place is on the couch. It goes Danny, Barney, me, Bailey, and, um, and just watching NAF telly or like a design program because we're building our house. <laughs> so, yeah. 
that just nice cozy they're fed they're watered we're fed we're watered rest yeah that's that's a way of relaxing for me sounds perfect it sounds idyllic <laughs> who would you say has been your biggest inspiration up to this point oh my go-to my jump is gene kelly <laughs> um i mean he was so driven and he was my, one of my early uh, memories of watching a performer and a perfectionist and he had his hand on everything i like he choreographed he directed he was in control he knew what he wanted um but oh god I, yeah but it seems so weird i mean i've read his books and stuff like that not that he wrote them but his you know autobiographies so as a performer someone like him and his attention to detail bet midler yeah. absolutely adore bet midler I love her and for the boys and beaches, oh. everything she's touched. I adore that woman. So Bette Midler, her char- charisma on stage and her sparkle, like I love her. Um, but even just recently, just listening to like Brené Brown and, and um, inspirational women, I've been watching Shine with Reese Witherspoon, listening to Glennon Doyle and, and um, Cleo Wade and, and people like that. Like I've, I've just ordered her book. Women who kind of go out there and get it. Yeah, those type, those type of people are inspiring me now still. So, yeah. That was actor and singer Carly Stenson. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes from your preferred podcast provider and follow me on Twitter at Shireen Jordan and on Instagram at Shireen R. Jordan.